0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Those men who have taken on the responsibility to shepherd the souls of the people of this congregation have asked that in this year we have some special studies And today we begin one of those studies. They have asked that we study 12 characteristics of the foundational concepts of the Word of God. And this series, one Sunday morning a month, will be entitled Bible Authority on one of these topics. Today, that topic that is not only a foundational understanding of things related to God, but it is the foundational study for this entire series that we intend to discuss. And that subject is Bible authority on Bible authority. I remember when I was a kid, I'm not real familiar with the details of how the game worked. I'm not sure that I could run it accurately were we to do it today. But I remember playing the game, Mother May I. Is that game still played today? I don't know. It's probably not a Wii version of it, so it probably isn't played today, (laughs) be my guess. And you probably can't get it on iPhone, so it probably won't be played today. But I remember playing the game, Mother May I, and best I remember, the idea was that someone would stand there and be the one in charge. And everybody would say, when told what to do, you need to, I want you to take four steps forward. And before you did it, you had to say, Mother May I. And the whole idea was to see how many people could be caught. Not saying that before doing it. In fact, I think there was even a, a game show version of that on television for a while. And, and the, uh, the professionalism of that is the person doing the announcing because they speak fast and quickly and supposedly catch you off base and get you to do things without asking permission to do it. Well, in in a very real way, that is Bible study. Bible study, when asking a question of God, when trying to find the answer to a quandary, to figure out what does God want me to know, it's just like playing that game, Mother May I. It's our job to go into Scripture with the attitude that says, God, what is your permission? What is your license on the topic at hand? It should be my concern, it should be my desire to know what God's permission on the topic happens to be. Now, that is extremely important, not only for what I do, but also for what I teach. Do I have permission? Do I have the license? Have I been granted the right to teach this? It would be a very unwise thing for anyone to presume on his or her part to teach to someone else a permission to do something that God has not permitted. How dangerous is that? There are a lot of people in the religious world who have taken it upon themselves to decide for themselves what they're going to do rather than let the Word of God make the decision. And so I want us today to understand the concept of Bible authority. And in doing so, I want us, therefore, to train our minds so that we might decide, Okay, I am going to look for the permission granted. I'm going to look for the authority that God has given to understand whatever topic happens to be at hand. We need to understand first that the whole concept of Bible authority is built on the idea of a test. A test. In other words, a test to see if something is genuine or not. Is it real or is it not? Here is the idea. We should want to know that we have what is right and true. I like the way the text in Ephesians was worded. It should be our job as Christians... To find out what is acceptable to the Lord. That well summarizes, I think, this entire discussion. It is my job, it seems to me, to find out what is it that is acceptable to the Lord. And that is a very common understanding of how we deal with all kinds of things in life. For instance... Valentine's Day is coming up very soon. Now, let me say this Valentine's Day is not just about women. You know, we fellows like to be remembered too, I think. But here's the deal if you really want to make an impression on Valentine's Day, it probably would not be a good idea to present to this person in your life a can of sardines. Now, Some of them might like those sardines. I would say it'd be a really small percentage of people. But you would not say, all right, I'm going to please you. I'm going to give you this as my token of affection, sardines. Well, I would begin to wonder, did you really try to figure out what that person likes? Did you do that because you're trying to say, I want you to see me in a positive light? I want to do something that is pleasing and acceptable to you. If that's what you did and that's what you came up with, more than likely we need to have a talk and try to help you figure out a better way of pleasing someone. Now, some people like sardines, I admit. But vast numbers of people would rather have something like flour or some candy or a gift card, or a nice card, or even a hug. Probably not the sardines. When we go into Scripture, we as children of God should want to do and define what is acceptable to God. What pleases Him? What makes Him happy? What gives Him joy? What makes Him appreciate me? In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 21, the writer even told us, test all things. Hold on to what is good. You see, that's what God is wanting us to do. He wants us to test, to try all things, and then hold on to what is good. There are all kinds of religious teachings in the world. All kinds. And I really believe that the intent of that passage is God saying this. You test what somebody teaches about the Bible. You go out there and test it and put it to the test. And in so doing, hold on to what is good finding God's permission, finding God's authority on a certain idea must, by definition, involve a test. Because not everybody claiming to preach the word is actually preaching the word. Now, this idea is translated in a number of different ways. And to help us to understand this word, the word is dakimazo, Now think for just a minute. Can you see a word in our language in the pronunciation of that Greek word? I'll say it again. Dokibazo. Maybe you heard the word document. That's it. That's what this word is about. To document. In other words, (coughs) to pull out the proof. To lay on the table the evidence. To document what the answer is. So the idea is documento. Document what God's authority is on this topic. But there are a number of other words used as well in Scripture to translate this same Greek word. It is used in Luke chapter 12 and in verse 56. Jesus looked at some of those Jewish leaders and he said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You can discern, there's the word, the face of the sky and of the earth, but you cannot discern the times. You know, the, he was saying you can predict the weather. To some extent, you can look out there and discern, and you know what the weather is going to be. In fact, he uses that in the next couple of verses. So the idea of finding Bible authority is discerning. It's used in Luke chapter 14 and verse 19. Do you remember the story? The man had a dinner party and he invited these three people to come, or a number of people to come, and then he went to ask them to come on, his time, and one guy made this statement. He said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. In other words, I'm going to go out and put them to the proof, to the test. I'm going to see if they can do what they can do. Of course, I think he got it out of order, don't you? Shouldn't he test them before he bought them? Probably, which shows These guys are just making excuses anyway. But the idea is, I'm going to test to see if they work. Romans 12 and verse 2. Paul, writing there, said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians Chapter 8 and verse 8 said, I am testing the sincerity of your love. In 1 Corinthians 11, he mentioned the idea that we are to, as just we have done, examine yourselves while partaking of the supper, verse 28. We just did that. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he said, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. When appointing those men who are going to serve as deacons in the Lord's church, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 10, he said, Prove them. Put them to the test. Make sure they're qualified to do the work. And even in that time of the miraculous evidence of the Spirit, 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 1, John made the statement, Don't believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God. You see the multiplicity of ways in which this idea is used, and it all boils down to this one thing. I am supposed to, as a child of God, it is my job to find out what pleases God that He has revealed to me in His Word. And it becomes His authority, His license, His permission, not only for what I do and what I say, but for what I teach someone else to do and someone else to say. Let us determine right here and right now, no matter what the Bible question is, no matter what the Bible topic under consideration happens to be, The first thought in my mind and the first words out of my mouth are to be these. What is the authority of God? What is His permission, His license on that particular topic? When you do that, it becomes much more likely that we're going to land in about the same place. And we're going to be pleasing to God. Now, I want you to see in the Scripture how God uses and how He reveals His authority. How does God unfold in His Word the authority so that I can understand it? Well, first of all, let me make this clarifying statement. There are a lot of people whose eyes just glaze over when this kind of topic starts. It's just too thick, it's too tough, and I don't want to go through it. But you know what? The study of Bible authority, generally known by the word hermeneutics, is a very natural process. There are actually people who believe that the whole field has been created to prove a point. In other words, we came up with this idea of Bible study and Bible hermeneutics just to prove that we're right. Well, now, wait a minute. I want to suggest that the way God reveals Himself and His authority is the way that you and I interact with each other on a daily basis. And it's the way that you read the newspaper. It's the way that you listen to a news report. The very same mental processes that are at work in those events is exactly the way God wrote the Bible. Let me show you how. Number one. God reveals his authority on topics his idea generically and specifically generically and specifically for instance fellows you probably have had this experience like i have your wife says while you're at the store I want you to get, and then they mention something. Now, there are any number of different varieties of that something. And if you grab the something, and it fits that category, and you come home and she goes, that's not what I asked for. And you look on that thing and say, see, it says it right here. See, it says it right here. Well, but that's not the one I wanted. Well, now, wait a minute. So, The next great invention, cell phones. You stand in front of that counter, and you go, I'm standing here. Now I'm going to read every box on this shelf, and I want you to tell me which one I want. You know why? Because now this is specific, not general. Somebody may say, I want spaghetti noodles. But then you can get angel hair, Or you can get medium, or you can get, oh, there's all kinds of different ones. Which one do you want? Well, if it doesn't matter, then it's generic. But if it matters, it's specific. Think about the story of Noah. If God had said to Noah, Noah, build a boat. anything he built that would float on the water would have been fine with God. He didn't say that. God told him how big it was supposed to be. He told him how many rooms to put in it. He told him what kind of wood to use. He told him to make sure that he pitched it, put tar all around it to make it waterproof. And he told him to put a window in the top. And he told him to put a door in the side. And he said, I'm going to close the door. You're not even going to close it. He specified what he wanted. Now, in specifying what he wanted, God automatically rejected other specifics that he did not want. When he said, I won't go for wood, automatically don't even look at the oak wood, don't look at pine, don't look at cedar, I won't go for wood. Where God did not specify, he was generic. Noah could do whatever he wanted. He didn't tell him what kind of tools to use to build the ark. He didn't tell him how many people he could employ, if he employed anybody. He didn't tell him where to go and build it. And in those ways, that was left open to Noah to make a decision. But where God ruled, both generically and specifically, that was what God wanted now. Consider the case of a couple of guys in Leviticus chapter 10. A couple of guys in Leviticus chapter 10 who had a a real problem because they messed up what God had intended. Notice the text. Nadab and Abihu were told as priests of God, sons of Aaron, when God set up the priestly activities, He told them, you're going to burn a fire over here in this altar. But God didn't say burn a fire. God said, here is the fire you're supposed to use. Here's where you get it. Here's what kind of fire it is. Nadab and Abihu got fire that God did not authorize. And when they tried to offer it, God's fire burn them up and the text said the text said they offered profane fire that god did not command see when god specifies he automatically clarifies And denies. Fire looks like fire to me, but not to God. And when He made a statement and they violated it, then they were in trouble. So generically and specifically, God lets His Word be known to us. He teaches us. He reveals His authority in that way. Number two, He reveals His authority by silence and by speech. Hebrews chapter 7. Excuse me. God, through the Hebrew writer, makes an entire argument on silence. The whole section is about God's saying, the priesthood has been changed. The Old Testament has been set aside. Now we're under the New Testament. And he's talking about, therefore, the change of the priesthood. And he makes mention <clears throat> that Jesus Christ is the new priest, high priest of God. And yet, he says, he could not have been a priest in the Old Testament because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And then he makes this statement in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14. He did not come from the tribe of Levi, from which tribe, or he came from the tribe of Judah, from which God said nothing about priesthood. Here's the point God said, priests come from Levi, Jesus came from Judah. Someone might say, "But now, wait a minute! God didn't say Judah couldn't have priests. God only said priests come from Levi." See, when you say it that way and hear it that way, all of a sudden you go, mm, "Yeah, he really did." If he said priests come from Levi, then his silence about Judah proves he didn't want priests coming from Judah. God reveals His will, but when He reveals it and says, here's what I want, but He doesn't say it negatively over here, it still counts. Put it in terms you and I can understand. You pull up in front of the store and you're in a hurry. And you give your child $5. And you say, I'm going to keep the car running. I want you to go inside and I want you to get me some milk. And bread and get back to the car we got to go and that child takes that money and runs inside and comes running back out with milk and bread and a great big candy bar <laughs> now you may not mind but I know this whose money was it yours who's in charge you did that child do what you said and you go You're not having that candy bar. I didn't tell you to get it. I told you to get milk and bread, but you didn't say not to get a candy bar. You know what? You and I couldn't live on that. How many things are in that store? And in order for your child to understand what to get, do you have to then go and specifically say, don't get this, don't get this, don't get this, don't get this, don't get this? No. You told them what to get. You're in charge. You gave them the money. That's good enough. And then we have a place in the Old Testament where somebody messed up on that very thing. Saul, the king, was getting ready to fight a battle and he called for the prophet to come and say a prayer and offer a sacrifice so that Samuel would help them win in the battle. But Samuel was delayed. And Saul got nervous. And so he instead offered the sacrifice. He's not a priest, not a prophet. He offered the sacrifice. And God said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. Why? Because you did something I did not command you to do. I was silent about whether you could offer a sacrifice. But I spoke, who could? And when I said who could, that's good enough. I don't have to tell you specifically not to. Finally, third. God offers His authority explicitly and implicitly. Explicit is, He just says it. Implicit is, there's something else understood inside of it. And it's easily understood because it's implied in the explicit statement. You know what? When you were a kid and your mom or dad came in and said, you better clean your room. explicitly, what are you supposed to do? Clean the room. Implicitly. I'm going to be beat if I don't. Right? Didn't you get it? You got it from the words. You got it from the tone. And you got it from the facial expression. You better clean your room. That was enough. That was enough. How about this explicit statement? Mom has been saying, hush, hush, quit, come back over here, stop doing that, and dad goes. (sniffs) Implicitly, I'm snapping one time, and I'm going to pop five times if you don't get over here. See, we operate that way. Explicitly, implicitly. God does too. Explicitly, for instance, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28. And then he told them, tell everybody what I've taught you to do. When Jesus taught the disciples to go into the world and preach the gospel, and to tell others to preach the gospel, eventually it's for you and me. That's a command it's easy to understand. But sometimes explicit commands, people mess up. When we have time, we don't now. But when you have time, look at Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, but I say. Here's what was going on. They heard the explicit command of God in the Old Testament. Thou shalt not. But they missed what was implied. They missed it. They didn't get it. For instance, thou shalt not murder. You know, as long as I don't kill that person, I can do to them anything I want to. Beat them up within an inch of their life. I didn't murder them. Wait a minute. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, as long as I don't commit the sex act, then I can do anything with anybody I want, even though I'm married to somebody else. What? Wait a minute. That's not what he was saying. See, they missed it. They heard the explicit, but they missed the implicit. Today, good people, here is our point. God has told me all that I need in a way that I can understand it. And the only way to understand the Bible properly is to look for the authority of God on the topic. Look for His permission. Look for His license. Look what He says pleases Him. And then give it up. That's good enough. Don't go looking anywhere else. Let that be the standard by which you live. Because when the Bible becomes your authority, then you can rest. You can be confident. You can be sure. Stand on the authority of the Bible. As we close, the Bible's authority and permission grants me the right to preach only one thing about salvation. The only thing I can preach about salvation is he who believes and is baptized, shall be saved. That's it. That's it. There is nothing in the Bible that permits me to teach, just ask Jesus into your heart. It's not in there. Can't find it. It doesn't exist. It's not God's authority. There is nothing in the Bible that teaches me the right or the permission to say, just wait and God will show you whether you are saved or lost. Churches, people teach that. The Bible does not. It says, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's all I can teach. I can't teach anything else. I can't do anything else and be pleasing to God. So today, if you're not a child of God, if you believe in God, and if you want to be saved, And that's what you'll do and if we need to help you with that or any other concern that your brethren can pray for you today we'll we'll be glad to do it if you will come as we stand and see we hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ we are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond Kentucky we meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m. followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m. And our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.